Hi, I'm Alexandra Roxo, your host of the Holy Fuck podcast. I've created this podcast because I want to explore how the mystical touches us in our everyday lives, how the sacred and profane move together like two sides of the same coin. I found that in modern spirituality, we often separate the sacred and the profane. We look at certain things as being holy and good and others as being bad. And I've actually found that the most magical part of life is finding the divinity, the healing, and the transformation in all of it. In this podcast, you can expect to hear stories from people on all sorts of walks of life. You'll hear from a doctor, a sex worker, a poet, a motivational speaker, an activist, a mother, a birth doula, and all sorts of other people who are walking on an embodied path of healing and transformation as a soul awakening this lifetime. Each one of our guests will be sharing their mystical and numinous and spiritual awakenings, how the sacred has touched their lives and the profane too, how they have explored life through sex, drugs, birthing, meditation, prayer, experiencing death and life, and all sorts of different elements that God, Goddess Divine, speaks to us through. If you've found that you're also a rebel mystic who doesn't just fit into the simple ideas of good and bad, of spirituality, but sees the nuance that life has to offer us, then I hope you find a home with me here in this podcast. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. Today's podcast guest is Dr. Will Sue, and he's here telling a story that I found to be incredibly inspiring. Uh, There was so much juice in this story. In a sense, it was like this. It's just a story that we've all lived through, that we go through daily. And it was about there's like a turning point moment. There's like a turning point aspect where I don't know if you guys remember this um, Gwyneth Paltrow movie in the 90s called Sliding Doors. It's like this moment where if you take one train car, your life goes in one direction. But if you if you actually miss that train or you get on a different train car, your life could be completely different. Uh, I feel like there was an aspect to Will's story today that that has that, like his whole destiny changed because of him making a particular choice. And uh, I'm really excited to share it with you because I needed to hear it. It inspired me. It reminded me of some things. And also we got to jam out about psychedelics and healing. Uh, Really excited to share this with you. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. Welcome. I'm so happy to have you here with us today. And for everyone listening, this is Will. So Will and I met a few years ago, I believe it was probably about three years ago at uh, an event in Brooklyn. And I was really touched by Will's presence and work and the way that he showed up in the room because he didn't seem like your typical doctor or psychiatrist. I was like, who is this guy? (laughs) He's got a nose ring and a a beautiful long braid and all this jewelry. And he's talking about psychedelics, but he's also talking about psychology. And anyway, I really appreciate people that push against what we imagine as one thing or another, right? So uh, I think a lot of us in today's age are attempting to sort of dismantle old beliefs and narratives and uh 
imagery and all of it, actually, <laughs> pretty much all of the old systems and structures. And we are all sort of nudging them around in our own way. Uh, and I felt that in, in your work. So I'd love to hear from you just starting, like, what is it you do? What are you passionate about? Um, what are you up to these days? And just introducing you as we begin this episode. All right. Thank you. It's, um... Yeah, it's fun, fun to be talking today. And it's interesting how much my story that I'm going to tell has to do with what you just described. It's, it's interesting, just my view as a doctor and, and, and what I'm doing. So, I'm all, yeah, interesting synchronicity. Um, but yeah, so I am a psychiatrist. So it means I'm, I went to medical school, um, which I did at UCLA. And I also got a PhD in immunology. So I, I did that because, you know, back before I, I decided sort of is doing what I'm doing now, I had thought I wanted to be a medical researcher. So I wanted to both be a, or we call them physician scientists in, in the medical community, sort of doctors who also get PhDs who, you know, see, we, we use this term bench side to, or yeah, bench side to bedside. We're developing the medications and we take them into the clinic and we like save people. It's literally like this like romance story of, of, uh, of a career. So um, that's what, you know, initially I thought I was going to be doing. So I, I have that, that science background, a medical background. And yeah, and, and these days I, you know, I'm a psychiatrist. So I ended up um, getting very interested in psychedelic work uh, back in around 2012. And it's, it's really become, you know, a big part of my career. Um, I am in private practice primarily in LA, but I do see people on Zoom now since quarantine. Um, and yeah, I see people for, you know, what, what some would call traditional psychotherapy, meaning I meet with people once a week. Um, but I definitely also do, you know, spiritual work and spiritual healing. I, I have a Shruti box. I chant with people. Sometimes we do sort of somatic work. Um, and I haven't prescribed an uh, antidepressant, I think since 2015, um, nobody I see right now is actually on a medication. So wow. in many ways, I'm like, maybe I'm not practicing psychiatry. <laughs> um, so yeah, and I, you know, I, I think, and I have a lot of hope for psychedelics being a very powerful tool for healing. And so outside of my practice, I, write things and I'll speak on podcasts and yeah, just trying to educate the public on psychedelics and how to use them most effectively for, to, to sort of move through life. And also I would throw in there also trying to educate the medical community because I think that's going to be an important part yeah. of, of the unfolding of this. Yeah. Story. Wow. So. Well, I have a few questions before we move on also to, to hearing the, the story and the share that you're bringing today. And my, my first question is how did you get started into just being interested in psychedelics if you were coming from that background of psychiatry and and wanting to get you know your your md and your phd and kind of find this this sweet romantic spot which i love that you said romantic about medicine i'm like oh i don't know <laughs> but um yeah well how did your mind open to that because i feel like a lot of people who go into studying traditional medicine wouldn't necessarily look towards earth-based medicines or ways of healing necessarily. So how did it come into your life? Well, it's, 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 I'm going to 
It, it's part of, I mean, it was actually the story I was going to tell. Let's get into it. Tell us, tell us. <laughs> so yeah, so for me, I don't know. I was thinking about what, what you know, a transformative moment was for me, you know, based, uh, based on your prompt. And so, yeah, so as I mentioned, I've, I've gotten interested in psychedelics since 2012. So in 2011, um, I was 31 years old. I had, again, gotten my MD from UCLA. I got my PhD from Oxford. I was in my first year of psychiatry residency at Harvard, like literally like the, the top program, US News and World Report for the last 10 years or whatever number. So meaning I was at the top of like what I thought my game was. I was like, I, I like crushed it. I did this thing. I should be like happy now, like, holy fuck, I'm at the top. And after a year of being there and finishing my medical internship, that wasn't the case. <laughs> and I was miserable and I was depressed and I wasn't happy with my life. And, in, and I started realizing a pattern. It was a pattern of putting these hoops in front of me and then saying, this will make me happy. Oh no, that, oh, oops, no, I got that wrong. This next thing will make me happy. And the reason I mentioned that again, 31, I got, because I, I had gotten, all, I had basically set up all the hoops I possibly could have. <laughs> like, what else could I have done? Oh my God. And I literally thought at that time too, I was like, maybe I'll get my MBA because some people do that too. And I'm like, no. I'm like, I'm like, let's look inside here. What's actually happening? And so it was tough because, you know, at, it was as it was not as if I could choose another career. So I actually thought about it. I actually sort of incognito applied for management consulting companies. And so I got interviews at McKinsey and Bain and all of this stuff, and I was going to drop out. And um, so it was really like the, the low point of one of the two low points of my adult life. And I went into psychotherapy for the first time, um, getting my own treatment and really started looking at myself and realizing these things. And at the same time, my a childhood best friend of mine ended up um, exploring psychedelics. He was across the country, and just someone from you know his circle started started having him smoke DMT. And at that time, I did not have long hair, piercings, jewelry, anything. I, I was not like I was raised Jehovah's Witness. I was terrified of of, of drugs. I thought they were you know, addictive and, and, and evil. <laughs> and so, um, but over months he was like, Will, he's like, oh my God, I had this experience. It was so powerful. And I was like, yeah, I was like, I was worried about him. Like I, I was the concern just for his like well being. <laughs> and then finally he was like, they, you know, these psychedelics, he's like, they used to do research on them in the fifties and sixties. And, you know, they thought they were really helpful. It was like the government, there was like a conspiracy against the hippies. And so and I was like, I didn't believe him until like I, one day I like actually went in and went on our, our search engine. It's called PubMed. And I started searching like psychedelics and all these papers came up from, from that era of like really good research being done at really good institutions. And so that's where like my science background comes in. I was like, no, this is real. Like something happened and now we don't look at these anymore. So sort of, this was all sort of a lead up to, you know, what I'm trying to sort of draw is like, there was a lot of pain happening in, and I had to sort of admit that there was pain and what was causing the pain and what the solution was going to be. So I was like, all these external things that I thought were going to be I, helpful to my pain aren't. Sorry, um, I may interrupt you just here and there to ask a, a question if it's okay. Sure. Um, 
if you had to sort of sum up what that pain was like, what it felt like, or what you felt it was related to, you know, could you give us that in like a, a sentence or two? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was it was me not living authentically, like like not being in being about in the world in a way that I wanted to be. That sort of my gut, my heart, my soul knew I wanted to 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 be living like. Yeah, like you were living in a sense of like someone else's life or the way they told you it would, you'd be happy. Yeah, ultimately the way I, yeah, ended up telling myself, I ended up like taking on these stories from the outside world of what was going to make me happy. And and so it was allowing that pain to, to sort of build. And then, um, yeah, and then I, I tried a psychedelic for the first time. I think that, that wasn't until 33, though. Like, I, it literally took me like a year to, to build up the courage to try. And I smoked DMT. That was my first psychedelic. And within like 30 minutes, I was like, it was waiting for me. Um, it was warm. I had been there before. And it was just, it just I became spiritual all over again. I was just like, there's, I don't know what wait, this thing wait, is. Wait, wait. What do you mean? It, it was waiting for you when it was warm. <laughs> like, yeah. again, it was like, it was so, so again, this was my, fr- I've never taken a psychedelic before. And so I, I smoked it and DMT is like this very rapid acting, like for those that, that aren't aware, like, you know, within 30, 45 seconds, you were, you know, you're, you're in a very different, you're having a very different experience than what we're having here in the human form. And, and you know, within 10 minutes, you're sort of back pretty much to where you are in the room. And so it was this, you know, that that's the way I, I, I can describe it again. And it, it, I know it might not sound, it might sound kind of crazy, but it was this, like, it was, again, it was waiting for me. I'd been there before. Like I know it was familiar mm. and it, it was warm. It was just like, it was like, coming home like in okay, a way. coming home that helps I think helps people understand helps me understand what that experience was like that it felt like a part of you mm-hmm. felt at home like you were coming home um yeah. I think a lot of people well I I haven't smoked DMT so I don't know that experience exactly you know I've done experienced many other psychedelics but it's good to hear you it's fun to hear your perspective and, and to hear your experience there you know and I've heard a lot of different people um depending on the DMT experience whether it's you know the the toe the bufo or um the different variations that I've heard all kinds of different ways that people describe this like magical realm of existence and so (laughs) for you when you had those kind of 10 minutes where you left your normal state of consciousness or your your waking you know human life if you could describe just a little bit more like what did you see or just the the key feeling i i do appreciate feeling home and warm and um anything else there uh from that experience for people that have no idea what you're talking about (laughs) yeah so i will also say though and it's interesting because we haven't even got to the the story yet but i think (laughs) but it's part of it no but it's funny it's like so yes it was it was ecstatic. I mean, again, I, I was meeting the divine when I think back and I look at it, or I, I was, I was, I was connecting to source, you know, the, the place that I feel we come from and that we will go to, but I, that none of this was in my language back then. I just had this experience. Okay. So I will, You're just like, it's warm and I feel like I'm yeah. home. <laughs> so I will say though, that also 
leading up to that was a ton of terror. It was probably the most scary thing I've ever done in my adult life that I've actually chosen to do. So that, that ramp up of you know, the, the 30, 45 seconds, even the first couple of minutes was, was sheer terror. Like I, I, I could have thought I was gonna die. And so, you know, it was through that, it was, a, it was at some point in the experience. And so, yeah, so maybe so if people wanna understand what DMT is, the way I've sort of described it, a way of describing it is if, if you take all the things or many of the things that you describe as part of being fundamental to this human experience that we're having, meaning there's matter, there's a body, you know, um, there's gravity, there's other people, um, there's a sense of I, like Will or um, Alexandra, like, like essentially all of those things get pulled away. You know, time, time is another one. Um, all of them get pulled away within 15 to 30 seconds. I mean, and, and, and at the right dose, of course. And, and it's not as if like you get pulled away and like you're aware that it's getting pulled away, it's just getting pulled away. So, I mean, most of the things that you associate with reality, except for vision, so you can see things and hearing. So other than those two senses, everything else gets pulled away. And so it is, you know, and if, if, if we sort of extrapolate that to what I was saying, sort of my journey into this was pulling away illusions of, of who I thought I was, what would make me happy. This thing pulls it, most of all of it away in a few seconds. So, so it's the terror of doing that in a short period of time. But I think it's that warmth, the, the pulling away and actually what people use the term letting go and, and accepting it is what led to the warmth and the coming home. You know, and, and in some ways, now that I think about it out loud, that short story of entry into a psychedelic experience, being able to let go, finding your way home, is sort of the buildup of the story I was saying, right? Or, or, the, or many of the, the stories that, that, that we each are trying to traverse in our life, right? Is this fear, there's a buildup, we don't want to do it, we, we get to this point, we choose either yes or no, and it either lets go into something beautiful and warm, or we kind of go back in the cycle to let the pain build up again. So. Ah. That is so, so true. And I feel like it's like a little bit of the hero's journey, you know, in a sense. And um, yeah, if we don't say yes to facing that fear, then yeah, we go back to one. <laughs> yeah. Walk through all the things until the pain or the discomfort builds up again. And then we have the opportunity to make a change or to let go or to open. And, you know, I think along that cycle, the more that we don't listen is where illness or physical yes. or mental illness can start to build up. And um, anyway, so I want to keep us on track for, but thank you for going deeper into the DMT experience just for people listening who have no clue um, what that <laughs> might be like. Okay. So you did that. It You, you had that experience. It felt like uh, a coming home. And then what was next? So it was interesting. So then, then I started seeing like, right, so you, I, you go into that space that was warm and, and rided, that was warm and beautiful and a coming home and a, a purity to it. And then it almost like as, as the illusions came back in that experience, but also I went back to my experience of, of training as a doctor in my everyday life, I started seeing those illusions coming back, right? And there was temptation to like, be like this or be like this. And so, you know, I, I then decided at that time, I'm like, look, I, I had the, the opportunity to say either I can admit that I was 
you know, putting myself in, in this position of, of, of wanting to be an academic researcher, this, this, that, and I lied to myself, um, or I can decide to make a change, but there was so much pain in letting go of that, that story, right? Because I had gone to school, I think 13 years after high school straight wow. of education to, to build up to this thing that I was doing. So it took the, you know, it, it took a lot, but I was like, okay, I'm willing to say I was wrong. And, and that was a big deal for me. And once I decided to do that, then I started becoming more vocal about this with my classmates at the program there and the faculty. And I was like, look, like our mental health system is broken. Our, our, like, let's admit it, guys. Like our meds don't work. Like antidepressants don't work. <laughs> they're, they're, they give horrible side, side effects. Like they don't work for me. And I started just becoming just much more vocal about all this. And, and my classmates, honestly, essentially were like silent. Like we had these like, they're called therapy groups for our class. And I started like talking about this stuff and people were just like holding on. I could literally see them holding on to the illusion. And same thing, there's some faculty that I opened up to about this and they were like, and they were like, you know, and again, this is, everyone thinks it's like relatively obvious now to work on psychedelics. This is 2012. Like people were not doing this like at all. I mean, again, there was research, there was definitely research happening, but it was not mainstream. And then I would tell faculty, I'm like, look at these papers, like there's active research, there's this thing called MAPS, the, you know, the, the nonprofit that's doing this. And luckily I met Rick Doblin, like Whoa. synchronistically within like a couple of months of trying DMT. And, um, but every, like that, the thing is my classmates and then faculty were all like, no, like these are dangerous or like you're crazy or just wouldn't even respond. They wouldn't even converse about it. But some faculty were like, you're going to ruin your career. Don't talk about this. Like, like just do your normal thing. And, and this is getting to the peak of like what I was saying, my story was where it was literally like, I had to be like, to admit to myself, Hey, again, I was wrong about what happened in the past, but then I had to be like, this world is actually, it's either I'm crazy and the rest of the world is sane and the world being like the world I was in, or it's the other way around. I've got, I'm into something, I've got it right. And the world is crazy. And it was a choice moment where I made that decision. I'm like, this system is fucked. Like, like I am, have just been buying into this. And then I just like started going, but it, that was like the point where it was like, I had to trust myself and it was pushing through the fear pushing through the illusion wow. and being like, no, this is all, this is all wrong. <laughs> yeah. I want to, I want to, I want to ask some questions about some of those moments because there's so much there. And the first one that really strikes me is in those groups on the day, not, I don't know if you can remember the particular day, but on the day that you are like, I'm going to speak up instead of be quiet. Can you tell us about that experience? Like, what was that like? Because I think that that is something we all face. I mean, to the extent it sounds like that you did it facing this really kind of archaic uh, Western system, the medical system, even in your own small community there, you're kind of up against this huge structure. Um, so how did, you, how did you muster up the courage that day uh, to speak? I mean, it was... It was, it, was, it was fully related to the pain that I was talking about. I'm like, I, I can keep tolerating this pain or I can do something about it. And so, yeah, I, I mean, those were, I mean, it, the, the therapy groups were, were the hardest ones because I felt like I mustered the courage and, and, you know, 
otherwise people are just talking about, oh, like work hours, like work hours sucks for doctors. They're like 70 hours a week. And, and I'm like, this fucking doesn't even like, like <laughs> that does not matter. I'm like, what about our fucking field? I'm like, what are we getting ourselves into? And I would like go in and talk about like in the way we're talking now. And then there would be silence. And it was some of the most painful thing to try to keep trusting myself. But so there was fear. There was a ton of fear leading up to it, but there was also sort of enough pain that it's like, I, I can't keep doing the same thing again. Yeah. So the, the pain and the discomfort that you experienced in your own life created like this deep conviction and inner knowing that you could trust your body. You could trust your heart, your own wisdom, even if everyone around you was saying you're crazy. That is like a huge yeah. soul test, like spiritual test. Like I feel like, yeah. um, you know, you can get really pat yourself <laughs> on the back for that one because I feel like a lot of people would go, I must be crazy. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Right. And <laughs> especially nowadays, uh, we're having to have these kind of internal conversations with our families and with our friends about like, what is reality? What is the nature of what's going on right now in the world? Like, who do we trust? What narrative do we trust? And so for you in that, um, in that, that moment in your own life to go, I actually even though I've poured thousands of dollars likely um, and time and hours into learning from this particular system of modern psychiatry, medicine, et cetera, I'm actually going to sit here and go, I'm not on board with this. Like that is that I can see how that would be extremely difficult, painful, and just also destabilizing, you know, after putting so much time and money and energy into yeah. your studies. And so, years. <laughs> oh, <age>. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm curious how, because I think there's also like a really great sort of story for the times we're in now. I'm curious how your community and peers at school connected with you, treated you, did people pull you aside after and say like, thank you for saying what I didn't have the courage to say, or did people come around? Like how, how did people relate to you after that? Um, these moments of you speaking up in your community? Well, honestly, like it, I, I was, I don't really, there's one person in my class that I keep in touch with. Um, there was some of the, the more junior people sort of when I was a senior and I was talking more openly, you know, the younger, it was like literally like one or two younger residents that was more, he, he yeah, he, he literally pulled me aside and he was into, um, he's a practicing Buddhist. Um, and so it's interesting because when you say this, oh, trusting my body and this, no, I know that this was is, not even in my language, yeah. somatic, I didn't know what I was doing. It just like happened. But then, yeah, there was certain people that were like, yeah, I really like what you're doing. I like what you're, can you tell me more about how you got into this? And, and, but when I left, I left in a pretty, um, I was kind of like the, the troublemaker resident, literally. Like, I remember, like, I was put on academic probation a few times or like, you know, told I was like, you know, speaking, you know, inappropriately to, to faculty and, I didn't. Wow. And, and this was at Harvard. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's interesting because like right before I left, psychedelics started becoming more popular. This I think it was around that time when I left this faculty, I, I should end up staying on for two years as faculty. But in the head of the department, I ended up telling him, I'm like, you know, I did a, a presentation on my experience taking MDMA. 
And then Michael Pollan's book had just come out. He's like, yeah, it's exciting, isn't it? I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, how about we do like a MDMA project here at Harvard? And he's like, nah, he's like, I'm not going to, he's like, he's like, I believe this stuff. I think it's important, but I'm not going to take the PR hit for the university. Mm. Um, so it was still very much that. And now actually in 2020, they started a center for psychedelic research at Harvard. So like, you know, it's, 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 yeah, a lot more people are now like, I don't know, like, on connecting one on one with me and saying like, yeah, this is great. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's also just like seeing it unfold there now, but it, it's, it's kind of fun being, having trusted myself and just, you know, being able to do it just when I felt it was right. So. Yeah. I mean, can you, can you kind of like gently say that you feel like you were a part of the fact that that study is, is began in 2020 around psychedelics at Harvard, like that you helped kind of, you know, plow, plow the, the land there of people's hearts and minds to, to make space for that to happen. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, I, I don't know, actually. So, I mean, I, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I, I just, we're all interconnected and I, I've just kept doing my thing. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, who knows? You hope so. I mean, I do know actually a couple of the faculty that, that I actually got into, uh, you know, they, they started taking psychedelics or, doing this stuff because because of our one-on-one experience yeah. together. So I mean, I, actually, so definitely some of the, the work that I've done was directly related. So I, I can take some credit for that. Hello, quick interlude here. I hope you're enjoying this podcast. If you are, I'd love for you to check out my book, Fuck Like a Goddess, my guide to healing yourself, reclaiming your voice and standing in your power. Publishers Weekly called it a sharp, forceful debut. It was one of Bustle's best summer reads and a bestseller in three categories on Amazon. These are my methods that I'm teaching to inspire you, challenge you, bring up your resistance so you can face it and get free and unleash your gifts. How to let life make love to you, enjoy every bit and find the magic in all of it guide. You can find it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound, and Sounds True, or by visiting alexandraroxo.com slash book. Thank you so much. It means the world to me to have your support for my work. Back to the podcast. I mean, it's funny like that to be someone who like stands out on the edge first, um, and, in whether it's in your family, your community, you know, uh, your greater field of career, the person that stands out on the edge first doesn't always get the credit, the visionary, the, the one who, who takes that step. Like it's usually years later that it becomes, you know, more popularized, whatever the thing that those people get credit. Um, even though it's taken so many people to sort of like, you know, break down those old barriers in order for it to actually hit the mainstream, right? So it's like now psychedelics in the mainstream have become so much more of a prevalent conversation and books like Michael Pollan's book and different studies and TV shows, which we can get to in a second since you were on one of them. Um, but but, but <laughs> that all being like something that is okay in the mainstream has taken many, many, many years of people like you speaking up and going, Hey, we should pay attention to this. Hey, the antidepressants aren't working. Hey, like, you know, think of how many people it took speaking up to actually move the needle. And we often, we don't see those people. We don't get to credit them as much because we just go, Oh, cool. Um, Michael Pollan, he brought that into the mainstream. It's like, no, how many hundred people had to like get like around him, impacting him for it to trickle there. Right. 
So, so, yeah, yeah. but what's cool about you is that even though that happened at, at Harvard, you still, you are a part of the mainstream conversation around this, or you have continued to bring it in there, which is awesome. Um, because you deserve that, I believe, you know, being, hearing the story, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> um, so for all of you listening, Will was on uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's show, The Goop Lab in 2020, right? Yeah, yeah. Just a, year ago. yeah. a year ago, um, and was able to, to speak and share about uh, psychedelics for mental health, right? Yeah. 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 On the show. So you can catch that, that on um, Netflix, I believe. And it's, what's the name of that episode? Um, I think it's called the healing trip. So yeah, it's, it's, it's episode mm -hmm. one of, of the Goop Lab. Okay, cool. Yeah. I, I, I didn't love the whole episode, but I loved you on it. <laughs> <laughs> I may have even texted you about it that I was a bit grumpy about some of the other parts of it. <laughs> um but it was important and it was beautiful to see you be able to share there. And, you know, I think some of us who maybe have been touched deeply by certain modalities or, uh, or psychedelics, for instance, or plant medicines, we hold it like in a certain regard. So it can be kind of intense to see that on television to go, wait, they're doing it wrong. And it's not like that. And da, 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 which is at the end of the day, I always sort of like hug that part of myself. And I'm like, okay, girl, it's fine. Just let them do their thing. And like, <laughs> don't be judgy and, and, and on a high horse about it. Um, you know, and there's obviously a line of discernment there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so after, after this, that period of time in your life, right? So coming back to kind of the aftermath of this, I have this image of like your soul breaking through in some way, or like, you know, this like sort of like some, some sort of like breaking through, like whether you're like this little wildflower breaking through the concrete or like a superhero who's like sort of busted out of their suit <laughs> and is now like, da, 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 I'm free. Um, what, what came after that? How, what, what was next? <laughs> you mean after, after the event, like it, that I'm talking about at Harvard or just all yeah, of Yeah, like after you left your, your being on the faculty there and you, you know, were speaking and, and sort of, you know, you mentioned that you had the MDMA experience after the DMT one. What was next? So it's, it's interesting. So, I mean, I'll go back to like, you know, the, and I've never been called a wildflower, maybe coming through concrete. I like that. But um, <laughs> no, but I, you know, in, in a way, I think both those stories, right, whether it's this, this energy, let's just call it energy for now, sort of having to build to make this decision at Harvard, or the experience, the energy of within the DMT experience coming to something and having to make a decision to sort of, you know, to be myself. You know, I, I, I think there, that's the story of all of us, I think. You know, I think this, this, this human experience is about, you know, becoming as fully expressed as possible for each of us, right? And it's the stories from our past, whether it's family, friends, relationships, trauma, that keep us from being that fully authenticated, right? And so to me, that's how I approach healing now. When I like watch someone, you know, when someone walks in my door or first sends me an email and I sit down with them, like that's, I, I feel like that's a skill that I have as a healer. It's like, I can see 
their soul through the illusions from like literally sometimes without before they even open their mouth just like just seeing the way someone holds themselves dresses all of it and so um, I know I'm answering your question very indirectly because I mean since then it's just been more of breaking through more things you know they've become more subtle and more nuanced and perhaps you know um uh, smaller in some ways but but you know then this like big dramatic i've got to shift my life in my career but they're still there you know i can give you examples but i won't from like even the last month you know there, there's definitely still more like pedals breaking through the concrete you know and i think that this is what the life experience is about it's, it's as far as deep as i've gotten or, or most of the healers or the, the you know the philosophers that i really respect and so yeah, I moved to New York City after that, I guess, to be more direct. And I was there for two and a half years. And it was, yeah, just that's when I started uh, speaking more publicly about psychedelics. I got on, you know, my first podcast and started, you know, giving lectures and that sort of a thing. And so it was just, it was more building even more confidence um, on this decision that I had just made. Because even though I made this decision to just be like, fuck it, I'm like going for this. It was, it was this it felt very big and then there was sort of a reset of my foundation of life and life was still there to be dealt with after you know and so um it's interesting and you brought up even the netflix show you know it was it was a wonderful thing to be on it was this big thing it felt like this big thing and it was and then it like it all the dust just settles and then we've got to do the life thing again you know and the reason i wanted to tell the story that i did you know about this the, the experience at Harvard is because I think everyone can relate to some aspects of this in their everyday life. You know, this, I don't think there's I'm some sort of superhero. No, no. You know, it's, 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 it's like, I've I mean, now, yes, always. <laughs> yes and no, you know, I, I've gotten really we good at are. seeing the illusions and I've, I've gotten, you know, built tools on how to get ourselves through the illusions. But I, I mean, I, I guess I don't take that superhero thing, meaning because like, this is like, we can all do this. I don't want hear, someone to hear this or hear me and hear you feel inspired and then not feel yeah. they can do it. Know that this is this is the human experience. Well, I think we all have our own internal superheroes. Sorry to sound kind of cheesy, but we could yeah, call yeah. that like an exalted being or a soul essence or the pure unconditional mm -hmm. love or the ground of our being, whatever we want to call it, depending on you know our belief system or ideology. For me, the image of a superhero came to mind, but it it is it is essentially breaking free of the constraints of our shadows, our limitations, our cultural conditioning, all of that, which depending on how you see life, and I believe that a lot of people who experience psychedelics or plant medicines have a similar way of understanding our life, that we are breaking free and letting go and shedding and moving out of shadow and calling shadow into light. And we're here doing this kind of deep alchemizing, um, lesson learning. You know, my first spiritual teacher was like, yeah, we go into classrooms, metaphorically speaking, for our soul and we just keep learning. Yeah. And if we don't learn, we're, we're thrust back into the same classroom. So I feel yeah. like in that regard, it's like we do get to be our own superhero in a way because we get to come through our own shadow tendencies and bring them into light. Right. And that might mean like speaking up and, you know, I feel like 
those are a moment and I have all of these kind of imaginal ways that I see things where like your, your ancestors are clapping for you. And like, it, it's like almost like in the video game where it's like, ding, 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 ding. Great. Next level. Boom, boom. And you like, you yeah. know, you level up. Yeah. Um, and the, they're, there are not moments where, oh, I made a lot of money or I wrote a best-selling book or whatever. There are these moments where your grit is like tested, like the, your, your integrity is brought into light. And depending on the stakes of your, I think, soul's karma, some of those are really like more intense, right? Like some people were speaking up in a way where they could yeah. go to jail or, you know, they could, and these people exist in the world. There are many souls who speak and share their heart and what they believe and go against, you know, certain governments or religions or um, acts of violence and speak up. And so that moment, whether it's on a, a small level or a big level, right? Whether the stakes are super high, life or death, or whether the stakes are, I might lose my family or my community, or I might lose, um, you know, my acclaim, or I might lose my following online or whatever. It's interesting, you know? I do think that's where the soul is tested. And like through those moments of like the grit is where we see what we're made of. Sure. Yeah, beautifully said. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. You, you, you like, this was such a, I feel like a complete kind of, um, of a story, which is fabulous. And I, I appreciate that. And before I, we move towards closing, I just, for those people listening who are curious about like the psychedelic piece, um, in terms of how psychedelics can, can be beneficial for, mental health problems, how they can access that information. I do feel like there's a lot of information out there right now, TV podcasts, news about using psychedelics and or plant medicines, but not sometimes it can be overwhelming, I imagine, for people. And sometimes people message me, they're like, what should I do? And I'm like, I'm not the person to advise you. Follow your heart, which is like super <laughs> annoying, I'm sure, for them to hear. And I know it's like so total like, you know, kind of like new age hippie speak, which I will take full responsibility for. But what would you, how would you direct people that are curious to learn more just about stepping outside of the traditional paradigm of um, dealing with mental health or mental illness or mental problems, however you want to categorize that, and into a more um, progressive uh, way of, of solving those problems or issues with psychedelics specifically? Yeah. Um, I'd say follow your okay. heart. <laughs> As I said, no, but um, to your heart. <laughs> we, that is what we're talking about, right? I mean, I, I think there, I, I, there is somewhat of a, a, I think, a formula. I think of, you know, to healing and within, without psychedelics. I don't think the formula is any different with psychedelics, actually. You know, I think it's, it's, you know, realizing that we're in pain. Um, I think number two would be then realizing that we are enlarge the cause of that pain. I think that's a big first step for people, right? Because until we say I am the cause of my pain, we're not going to solve it because, you know, it, it's this, it's this like dual sort of, it's, it's almost like a, a paradox. So to me saying 
I am the source of my pain, it's kind of, it's, it's a painful thing because we can't blame the outside. Again, outside of immediate trauma that's still happening. But it's also empowering because if I'm the cause of my pain, I, I am the solution to it. So I think, you know, that, that's sort of level one. And I think of people, where are they? Are they coming to me saying that the outside world is horrible and that's why they're unhappy or the inside? So step one right. is- Yeah, taking pain. responsibility. In my book, I kind of walk through people through a process that's similar to what I experience with or without a psychedelic. And the first one is, I say, just get real about where you're at. And like that in itself- is a huge part of the healing process is to just take responsibility for what you're feeling, to acknowledge it, and to even learn how to feel it and identify it. Some people aren't even there, right? Like the idea of feeling what's happening inside is still foreign. And then to feel it and then to take responsibility for it, to have that awareness, it takes a certain level of spiritual and emotional maturity. Yeah, and I do think that that, is an important step before taking a psychedelic because otherwise you can think, oh, this is just going to wipe it all away (laughs) and probably not. Well, yes, I I think it's a little more nuanced than that. I would actually say, so in in any of the steps of the healing, maybe we'll keep talking about them or not. So I would say, yeah, I mean, so it's admitting that we're causing our pain. Number two is where is the pain coming from? So it's being aware of our body, like like what, what's doing this? And number three, I mean, I, I've never said these out loud, so they may not be the steps that we'll work out, but then it's like, so what am I doing to perpetuate that? And, and what can I do to change that? Whether it's relationships, work, etc. And then we usually find the catharsis after those. Each of those steps is challenging. You know, I've gone, I, I know these well because I've gone through many of them and I'm still going through many of them, you know? So it's, it's all these things are happening unconsciously. So I think at any level of, of what we're talking about in terms of becoming more of who we are in healing, psychedelics can help facilitate that. If we think that we're not causing our pain, a psychedelic experience can help us see the way that we're doing that and admit that to ourselves and mourn the resistance to that. Right. If it's how is it now happening in my everyday life? How am I causing my pain? Psychedelics can help you see into how you're doing that. Um, so it, they can be helpful in any stage of the way. So yeah. I, I wouldn't. I personally wouldn't say that. You know, I. You know, it, it. They don't work at any step of healing, but it's being more being mindful of of, of what we're doing. Yeah. You know, in in some ways, you know what what's not being talked about much right now that it's going to be necessary is that not all psychedelics are created equal. You know, some are very powerful, very short acting like DMT or the toad, or some are much more gentle like MDMA. Ah, MDMA you know, was so not gentle with me a few months ago. It was one of the worst experiences. <laughs> relatively gentle. I almost texted you. I was like, I wonder what Will would say about this because I was, I was um, just vomiting nauseous for about eight hours on the floor. I was mm. like, did I accidentally take ayahuasca? No one told me. On a, on a, on a tangent though, yeah. related to that, I have found that actually since connecting more to my gut and catharsis through purging and vomiting, I now have, with ayahuasca, yeah. I, I now yeah. often purge you with do. other psychedelics. I, I wondered actually. if that. Yeah. yeah, it's rare though, but, but once you start yeah. connecting, so I think this was felt like very much like a catharsis. Yeah, I, I took it as that and I was able to like stay with it. And I kind of just acknowledged that because of the work that I've done with ayahuasca, I 
when I enter that portal, I have to just sort of use the same rules, like anything could happen and not go, oh, this is going to be like this because it's MDMA or, you know, this will, this psychedelic will act like this. But I kind of now I enter any of them and I say, I could poop my brains out, puke my brains out, cry my brains out, laugh. Nothing could happen actually, you know, like that there is no, there's no golden standard for each of them. And, and, and that's control. That's letting go of control too. And just surrendering to the experience. But anyway, didn't mean to interrupt you there. (laughs) Yeah, no. So, I mean, that's a great, yeah, no, I think so. So in a way, what I'm saying is basically like, it, it just depends, but I wouldn't take it each experience as a one size fits all because there's certain things that are just, you know, people are now talking a lot about the toad, the toad, which is 5-MeO DMT, which for those who don't um, know what that is, I haven't done it. And I'm not sure if I will do it because it's, 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 it's really fucking powerful. Like, and I have a history of PTSD because of the stuff that happened in, when I was like in, yeah, young, basically pre, pre, pre 18. And I was talking to a friend yesterday who also has PTSD. He had his first um, DMT, 5-MeO DMT experience like a week ago, and he is, feels net traumatized by it. You know, it was, it was a very difficult experience. And so, you know, I, I, would, I would not say like all psychedelics are meant for everyone to take. Some, some might be too much, you know, and they may let, leave you in the worst place. And so I think being very mindful about the use, you know, who we're doing it with, why we're doing it, and being able to say no, you know, I think when it doesn't feel right, because I think as exciting as psychedelics have become in the last couple of years, it's it's hard to find good guides and practitioners. So people sometimes like the first person that comes to them, they're like, yes, I'll do it. And and sometimes it's, it, you know, leaves them in a worse place. So I would say trusting your over all of it yeah and and being patient and gentle yeah i really appreciate that and and i appreciate what you said before like that they can meet whoever wherever they are i think i just have like a bit of like my cautious like where i'm like well you should just do a little bit of work before you enter in there but i they will meet you wherever you are like um you my mother had a ketamine experience for depression she's had deep depression for a very long time and been on Zoloft for probably 40 years. And she let me talk about this in my book because it's a profound experience in my life to, to live alongside her. Um, and so when ketamine was, I think I told you this actually, when we became friends, um, they, they were able to prescribe it to her and, and I was still bummed out that it didn't come with any sort of, um, psychological sort of uh, therapeutic um, addition, right? She just went to the clinic, they gave her the ketamine, she's in a room with the television and that's it. Um, And there, I think there can be, there are so many different sort of, um, yeah, potential shadows that can arise for, for culture, for mainstream, for medicine, as people tap into these, potent substances. And I think that's why I, I advise people to, to just enter with caution and awareness, because if you're going to go there, you might as well go with like, okay, I know where, wh- what I'm bringing. I have some awareness of, of my 
my pain, my trauma, like what's bringing me here. And then having integration and having some intention before and all of these other pieces that um, I hope that the medical system will be able to bring into experiences with people so that it's not like, oh, cool, now we're just going to hook them up to the MDMA machine um, without any type of support. You know, obviously we'll see what happens in the future. You know, if our country is still ruled by capital and money, then it might not be for humans, you know, as these, as these, these medicines get put into a more mainstream. Yeah. I mean, you, and it's interesting because you mentioned like the, you, hope, you hope the medical community, you know, is able to respond and, and, you know, and, and provide these medicines in a very, you know, most supportive and helpful way. And then, yeah, it's, it's a bummer to hear about your mom. And, and that's what's happening right now. You know, it's interesting. I was talking to, to a friend and I don't know, for some reason I live in Venice Beach and I mean, you lived there yeah. recently. And it was like, every time I walk by MedMen now, especially it's like, you know, psychedelics, there was lots of shifts in 2020. Like there was decriminalization in lots of places, which I'm very supportive of. Um, but also a bunch of companies went public, you know, and, and some big pharma psychedelic companies went public. And so, I don't know, when I walk by MedMen, usually I'm like, this is, there's going to be an aspect of psychedelics that becomes this. It, it's going to be like shop and they're going to be in these shiny little boxes and these different type of mushrooms and people are going to claim they do this right. and that. Like, I already feel it's like that's sort of happening already, you know? It's like, you know, whether, you know, medicine will evolve, I think it's going to evolve slowly because, you know, it's, it's being open to it is one thing, but learning how these psychedelics work and, and tying in the body and spirituality is I think something that's going to take a very long time for medicine. I mean, I'm talking, I think at least five, 10 years plus at, at best, you know, the same thing happens in the wellness and the spiritual community. There's pl plenty of people that don't have degrees that are calling themselves guides or coaches offering psychedelic and, and they're also not offering it with, with, you know, with full integrity or awareness, just like the medical system is, you know, and, and so I'm, I'm, I think sort of psychedelics should be available to all communities to, to do safely, whether it's within medicine or without. Um, but I just think it's practitioners need to be, I think, mindful of what they're able to provide to people. Yeah. Um, I think it's safety and not and, and yeah, and yeah. I like that what you're pointing out one extreme is like the sort of super clinical, no, no spiritual or no psychological support, but just like this clinical, you take the thing and da, da, da. And on the other side, it's like super wild, wild west, like practitioner rogue, you know, sort of like basement shaman vibe that your friend recommended. And that maybe has no background in understanding trauma or the nervous system or any type of actual psychology, like that these are extremes, right? And so it's, you're a bit of an anomaly in a sense that you have the spirit, that you walk along the spiritual path and that you have the, the medical and academic background. I don't think, or haven't heard a lot of people um, who are also holding the sort of reverence towards the spiritual path, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that, that that's not super common, <laughs> but I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting. I, I think, you know, it's, it's just, I don't know. There, there's a quote that I've heard attributed to Ram Dass, but I've like, I've Googled it and I can't find it under him, but I'm, I'm reminded of it now, which is, um, so the quote is something like, um, you know, you can only get as high as your shaman's gotten, you know? So, so it's like, and I think, so another sort of connected and related thing that we're talking about is wellness has now become 
a capitalist industry too. I think we have to admit that. Like, and and spirituality. I think spirituality has become a, a capital. It's going to soon become some sort of. No, it already is big time. Yeah. It's like everyone's a coach now. Everyone is telling you how to heal and follow these steps. And this is like, it's like, it's just too much. It's like, who do you believe, you know? And, and ultimately I think it's, you know, I always approach it as like the person sitting in front of me is the, the one that knows best for them. And, and yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, and, and we'll close here in a moment. Obviously this is such a huge conversation and I really wanted it to be centered around you and your story. And there's so many like offshoots of, um, why this is a hot topic now and why, I mean, it's psychedelics and plant medicines have changed my life completely and helped me and continue to um, in so many ways, even just teaching me how to sit with extreme states of fear and discomfort and anxiety and pain and turn towards them yeah. instead of away from them. I, I do believe that because of that kind of training and um in a psychedelic experiences that now kind of bleeds into my normal days where I'm like, I feel like I took mushrooms, but I'm actually just in a deep, <laughs> like sort of psycho-spiritual emotional process today where I feel like I'm like, um, so that I have such, such yeah. gratitude and reverence for the possibilities there. And um, definitely a longer, longer conversation. I appreciate that you just brought it in. And is there anything that you wanted to kind of add as we, as we close that you thought, well, this is an important thing to kind of mention? No, I mean, I think, yeah, I think we've talked yeah. about it, but it's really just, just trusting yourself on the healing journey and, and, you know, seeing all the tools and the people that sort of are part of your healing journey as, as simply as, as, yeah, as, as, as tools, but that ultimately it's, it's building your own philosophy on how to mm -hmm. live your life. Exactly. And any, anything you'd recommend for, for beginners, for places that they want to, or that they could potentially learn or kind of a, any kind of books or podcasts or movies or anything that, that you'd go, Oh, just start there. Yeah. No, I, I really, I really like to, I think sort of media companies around psychedelics. I mean, I think psychedelics today, does a, does a very good job. They, have, they run a podcast and put out some content. And I think Double Blind also, I've, I've gotten to know the, the, the company and the two women that run that magazine. And they, I think they really do a solid job. So I think just for mainstream stuff, I think um, yeah. yeah, those two are, Maps also yeah. does, you know, puts out. Yeah, well. that's, those are two, those are great, great places to start. So everybody, if you're interested in learning more, look up Psychedelics Today. Um, they've got a great podcast and Double Blind is an awesome um, platform and they have a beautiful actual magazine, which they sent me and it's yeah. just full of such interesting content, really smart. Um and helpful. And they, I think, have also put out some classes on how to work with psychedelics. I think they have some kind of online mini courses and things. So check out their content. And also, you know, Google will. Well, don't Google. Don't. I'm trying to, I'm trying to become not addicted Google. to Google. I actually changed all my search engines to DuckTuck. Oh. Go or pro go. I think it's go. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to, to secure my online 
just life, just how much is of, of a tech avatar I have sort of casually laying around multiple websites open, but that's another conversation. Um, but anyway, <laughs> look up Will online. And also he's been on many podcasts, so you can listen to him talking more about this subject in depth on many, many podcasts, right? So, um, and do you have any upcoming like classes, events, anything you want to share? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, Instagram is the one medium I have now, but I'm looking also to to spread that. So I'm going to be sort of, uh, I've been doing a course for clinicians to learn about psychedelics. So if you're a clinician, um, I'll announce that on cool. Instagram. Um, medium, also, I'm going to start a medium page and good, start good, writing. Good. Yeah, uh, I think we need to all kind of like, sharing. you know, spread our message around decentralized from from just living on Instagram, our businesses and our public Absolutely. selves. Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe a telegram channel and you can be completely uncensored, yeah. but medium, it sounds great. And I think that that, that is such a great way for us to read more in depth work, right? Where Instagram yep. is like trying to pack everything into a little short bit or a video. And sometimes the messages live, live better in the longer piece of writing. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. So follow Will on Instagram where he's going to tell you when to go to Medium and <laughs> to read his essays and what classes and things and events that he has coming up. Um, well, thank you yeah. so much. This was so fun to, to talk about and to sort of just like bring into the space. And thank you for being uh, on my first season of my podcast of sharing. And I hope that everyone listening, I hope that this inspired you just to continue to speak up and to ask questions and to question and to listen to yourself. And when you feel like something inside is like, that's off for me to really listen, to have the courage to listen and, and to, to speak um, and to, to keep living, to keep living in these times and to keep questioning and healing and not to get entrenched in fear. And, you know, a little mushroom journey will help you right out of that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't recommend that. That's just my practice. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Will. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. For more, 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 follow me on IG at Alexandra Roxo. And you can get on my mailing list where I send poems, practices, rituals, links to upcoming retreats and events and all kinds of goodies. And if this podcast has touched your heart, please let us know. Please write us a review, give us a five-star rating, all that. It means a lot to myself and everyone involved. Big, big love, my darling. Have a fabulous day and see you again very soon.